Um, I have a friend who, um, he finds himself often counseling people that are stuck in life, 20s, 30s, 40-year-olds, usually in that, that range of age. Um, he's not a counselor, he's not a licensed counselor, but he does a lot of counseling. He's not a pastor, but he does a lot of pastoring. And one of the things that he does when, when someone has come to him, often through referral, and they're, they're sharing, this is where I'm at, this is why I'm stuck, this is, this is what's collapsing around me, and, and if they're interested in, if they're interested in healing, if they're interested in growth, and they want to get unstuck, he gives them a piece of paper, just an 8 by 11, um, and it's mainly white space, but in the middle is a little box, just large enough to write one word. And he asks them a question. He says, what are you trying to become? And he says, you can write your ideas and your thoughts in all this white space, but you have to distill it all down into one word, and that's what goes into the box. And he's done this for, for many years, and he says that that question typically requires weeks to months for people to answer. We can all start answering it, but to distill it into one word that is sufficient to encapsulate all that we desire to become, all that we're aiming to be in our lives, to bring that down into one word is, is difficult. I really like that question, and one of the reasons I like it is because it actually I think that it forces us to uh, answer a prior question. The question, who am I? Right, before we can, we can begin answering, what am I trying to become? We have to be able to answer, who am I right now? Before you can know where you're going, you, it, it's helpful to know where you're at in the moment, right? Now, I think that we've all We've all contemplated that question, who am I? There are those who are more introspective among us that have spent many silent moments over their life contemplating that question. Uh, there are many that are artistic and creative among us, and those sorts of people just tend to think, think about that question, who am I? And what am I becoming? There are others that are not so inclined to be introspective that really only face that question in the midst of pain and suffering, because pain and suffering force upon us um, an examination, a self-examination like almost nothing else can. And that is an essential question to answer. Who am I? And then what am I becoming? But even before these two questions, there is yet an even more essential question to ask. And if we don't get that first question asked, this first question, then our answer to the other two, who am I and what am I seeking to become, they will be woefully inadequate. And this first and most important question is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I have the great pleasure of knowing a modern-day evangelist who's 
led many, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of people to faith in Jesus over the last 40 or 50 years. And one of the, one of the things he does when he has a person of peace that is, that is open to Jesus, maybe not yet having faith in Jesus, is he invites them to read the word with him. And, and typically, it's the Gospel of John. And he encourages them, as they're reading through the Gospel of John, to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? John wrote his gospel to answer that very question. He says so. He says, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him, you would have eternal life. He's seeking to reveal who Jesus is. So as we spend time in this season going through the gospel of John, let us ask that question, who is Jesus? The, the, there, there's there's a, an eternity or an infinity of depth in answering that. And yet it is also simple and can be distilled. And in finding and believing and having conviction around who Jesus is, deep into our bones, we will find that we know who we are and what we are becoming. So this morning we're in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, and to just provide a little bit of the context of where we are, um, in John's gospel, in the opening chapter, the scene is familiar. We're down in the valley of the Jordan River. John the Baptist is there baptizing people, but John's gospel does not record the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus appears on the scene, it's John saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, what we can infer from this is that Jesus has come back from his wilderness temptation. Because John also says, This is the one of whom I said, He who ranks before me or higher than me has come after me. John had baptized Jesus. He had seen the Spirit of God descend upon him. That's how John knew, ah, this, this is the Messiah. This is the one that I'm preparing the way for. And then Jesus went and he was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Then he comes back to the valley where John is baptizing and John begins telling his disciples, this is the one. This is the one. And some of them begin following him. He tells, he tells Andrew and, and it, it appears that it's probably John uh, not, not the Baptist, but John the Evangelist. And they, he says, behold the Lamb of God. And they peel off. This is what Ben preached on last week. And they're, they're kind of hungering, you know, behind Jesus. And he turns around and he says, what is it that you seek? And they want to be near to him. He says, come and see. So now, uh, Jesus determines to go back up north to Galilee. But before he goes, he's going to recruit a few more disciples so it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. He may have known of Andrew and Peter. He may have known them personally. And then Philip goes and he finds Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, 
You, you have to love Nathanael's honesty. And Jesus loves it, because as he's approaching Jesus, Jesus says, a true Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nazareth is uh, a town of very little significance. And if I could, if I could translate its, um, its meaning into to the, what, what we would call it today, it, it literally means stick town. Stick town. Nazareth is derived from the Hebrew word for shoot or branch. And in Matthew's gospel, when, when Joseph and Mary uh, relocate from Egypt to Nazareth, it says that what was spoken by the prophets would be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. But if you search the Old Testament, nowhere does it say that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene, and Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. So what, what is the prophecy that, that is being fulfilled and that he would be called a Nazarene? Well, we have to remember that Nazareth and Nazarene come from stick. And Jesus, as prophesied by Micah and especially in Isaiah, he is the shoot or the branch that comes out of the stump of Jesse. So he is fulfilling the prophecy. He is the branch and he comes from branch town or stick town. But to Nathaniel, it's, it's kind of a pejorative uh, origin. It'd be like coming from Nampa, Idaho, and seeking office. Can anything good come out of Nampa? It smells there. Um, but he gets up. He's curious. And he approaches Jesus. And Jesus has some insight into him because he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he had, by the Spirit's influence, gazed at Nathanael and noticed him prior to this. So he says to him, uh, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. It's kind of a weird thing to say to somebody upon first meeting them. There's not a lot of guile in you, I can tell. Um, I don't know why Jesus said that. I don't really know why, except that perhaps because where he goes with Nathaniel at the end of this encounter, you will see the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is a reference to the Jacob story. As, Jacob, we, as, uh, as Rick read this morning, Jacob is fleeing to Haran, and he's sleeping in Bethel, it wasn't called Bethel at the time. He has the dream, and there's the ladder that goes up into heaven, and the angels are, are ascending and descending. On Jesus' mind is the story. It's where he goes with Nathaniel. And he says that in Nathaniel, there is no guile. There is no deceit. And the word that he, that he chooses to use there, it's the same word that's used of Jacob. Right before he flees to Haran, because he deceived his brother Esau out of his blessing. He deceived his brother Esau. He was, seeking, he was seeking to attain all of the promises of God, Jacob was, but he was trying to do it on his own terms and in his own way. He was using deception. Nathaniel hears that the one that the prophets and that Moses foretold was here. He's from Nazareth. And even though he has his own suspicions, 
in his skepticalness, he still gets up and he goes to see. He goes to see because he has a willingness to accept God's provision, God's salvation, God's Messiah, not on his own terms, but on God's terms. Eh, Maybe he is from Sticktown. I want to go see. So he approaches. Jesus identifies him. And it throws Nathanael off a little bit. So he says to Jesus, behold, um, or he answers him, how do you know me? And Jesus replies, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It's so so difficult sometimes for us to read these gospels, not knowing what on earth was Nathanael's story? What was he doing that day? What was going on in his mind? What were his... What were his wounds? Where was he tender such that by Jesus saying, I saw you, it inspires this response of faith in Nathaniel. It meets him right where he needed it, somehow just being seen by Jesus, this one that is gathering crowds around him. And there's kind of a buzz around the Jordan Valley. He says, I noticed you. I saw you. And in that moment, Nathaniel speaks something that is true and that John is very intentional in including here in this opening chapter. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Now, here in this moment, Nathaniel does not believe that Jesus is divine. He has has no concept that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. That's not what he means by Son of God. In the Old Testament, Son of God is king. That's that's what the kings of Israel were called. They were called the sons of God. That's why he says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. So there was something in Nathaniel's story that we're not privy to, where when he encounters Jesus, thinking that he was the one initiating, and then finding out that no, in fact, Jesus had noticed him first, He may have small faith, but it's true faith nonetheless. He says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus replies, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, this is the first time Jesus does the double trulies. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so John concludes the opening chapter of his gospel. After this, they shift up into Galilee. They go to Cana. So let's hyperlink this back to Genesis chapter 28 because this is an amazing 
an amazing and mysterious story that Scripture makes no comment on after it's told in Genesis 28 until right here in verse 51 of John's first chapter. So Jacob, he's stolen Esau's birthright and he's stolen Esau's blessing. And now Esau wants to kill him. And so he flees. And it says that he came to a certain place. This is Genesis 28, verse 11. And stayed there that night because the sun had set. Fleeing for his life. The sun has already set. Eventually he finds a a nice place with a rock to lay his head on. And he goes down for the night. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Heaven and earth are being bridged here. They're being opened up to one another. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. In other words, God is reiterating the promises that he had made to Abraham. The covenant that he made with Abraham. To choose Abraham, to multiply him, to make him the father of many nations. And through Abraham's family to bless the earth. That promise had passed down to Isaac. And now the Lord is passing it down to Jacob. And so early in the morning, Jacob awoke and he realized that God was in this place. So he takes the stone that he was sleeping on. He sets it up as an altar. He makes a promise that if the Lord does fulfill his promises, when he comes back to Israel or to Canaan, this place um, and this stone would be a pillar in the temple that he would build to God. And he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. And then we never never hear about this again. We hear about Bethel, but we never hear any references or allusions to this ladder and the angels of God ascending and descending. And so you can imagine Jesus, as he was growing up, increasing in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and man, in Nazareth, sitting in synagogue, hearing the Genesis story told, getting to this part and going, that ladder, that's what I'm supposed to be. That's who I am. I am the place where heaven and earth meet. I am the bridge. In me and around me and through me, heaven is going to break into earth. I am Bethel. I am the house of God. This is what John is trying to tell us. 
in his opening chapter. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It's the word that's used for God's dwelling with the Israelites in the mobile temple that was the tabernacle. It's what John, or it's, yeah, it's what John the Baptist is hinting at when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How? At the temple through sacrifice. And Jesus himself says, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on me. So, who is Jesus according to his own testimony? Jesus is the one in whom heaven and earth meet. Jesus, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Jesus is the place where God fulfills his promises to bless all the nations of the earth through the offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus is Bethel. He is the house of God, the place where for those who want to be near to God, they can find him in Jesus and in no other place. More than that, though, Jesus is the one who sees you. Just as he saw Nathaniel, he sees you. And before your parents or your friends or your colleague first invited you to come and see Jesus, whenever that was for you, before that first invitation was made by another human being, Jesus saw you. And he wanted you for himself. And he wanted you to come and see that in him, the angels of God are ascending and descending. And in him and through him, the life and joy and hope and love and peace and healing and wholeness of heaven are available on earth. That's who Jesus is. So who are you? And who am I? Our second question. John says that through him, all things are created. Genesis says, God made you to bear his image. That's who you are. One who bears God's image, created through Jesus Christ. And, consistent with the scriptures, broken. Corrupted. Hurting. That's the reality. Immense dignity because you bear God's image. And yet, the reality of pain, of sin, um, of chaos and loss, every one of us carries it. What are you becoming? What are you becoming? Well, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It's his favorite title for himself. Over and over again in the Gospels, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And I think that he does that because he understands that he is everything that man is supposed to be, but because of our sin, couldn't be. 
So he comes, and he is in himself what we ought to be, and he is that for our sake. He lives that way. He fulfills all righteousness on our behalf. And we know he goes to the cross also on our behalf. And so his invitation to come and see him and to see heaven and earth meeting in him is not just an invitation to behold him. This is the mystery uh, that John's gospel just repeatedly, repeatedly reveals is that he actually invites us to be, to be him by being in him. Abide in me and I in you. Just as I and the Father are one, so you and I are one. I will not leave you on your own as orphans, but I will send my Holy Spirit to take you to where I am. If I have to, to, to distill into one word, what am I becoming? The answer would be Jesus. And in becoming a true man or a true woman in Jesus, we become the most glorious and unimaginably beautiful and powerful persons um, possible. Far better than what we, this is why we have to start with that first question, because if we begin with the question, who am I and what am I becoming, but we haven't started with Jesus, whatever we can imagine for ourselves, it's insufficient, it's inadequate, it falls short, it's not what you were made for. You were made to bear God's image, and Jesus is that image. So consider Nathaniel. Have you ever wondered about Nathaniel? He's only ever mentioned in John's Gospel. And as best as we can tell, he corresponds to Bartholomew. In the four places, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then in Acts, when the 12 disciples are actually named, Nathaniel's not in there, but Bartholomew is. And Bartholomew is, is connected with Philip. He always comes right after Philip when he's mentioned. So in all likelihood, Nathaniel is Philip, uh, or sorry, is Bartholomew. And we don't know if Nathaniel was just a first name and Bartholomew was a surname because Bartholomew means son of Talmai, Bart. Talmai, um, or if it was a nickname that he acquired, similar to how Peter was renamed, or Cephas was renamed to Peter, or how Thomas was called the twin. We don't, we don't really know. But I find it interesting that the one that Jesus says, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on, that his name is Nathaniel. The one that he's inviting into his life to become a rung on the ladder, on Jacob's ladder. Nathaniel, I want you to be a rung. You are going to be a living stone in this new temple of God, this new and better and truer Bethel. Nathaniel means gift of God. 
and whether that was his name all along, and so he was going to walk in fulfillment of that, or it was a name that was assigned to him after, after he became united to Jesus. That's what his life was. His life became a gift of God to the world because he bore witness and he invited others to come and see. And he went out with the two by two and the disciples as they ministered in Galilee, preaching the kingdom of heaven and healing those who had diseases and casting out demons. And in Nathanael, heaven was breaking into earth because he responded in faith to the invitation to come and see Jesus. Now, I'll be the first to acknowledge um, that it's, it's an easy thing to, to preach this, to teach this, to observe it, this idea of heaven breaking in through those who know Jesus. It's one thing to say it, it's, in, it's, it's, it's another thing entirely to live it and to have a track record, to have a story that is full of it. And I look in this room and I see many who have walked with Jesus and experienced this reality for longer than I've been alive. So I'm, I'm not a master in these things but I've heard the call afresh to come and see. And we've had this recurring invitation and exhortation from Ben over the last couple of months to pick up John's gospel and to invite someone to read, to come and see with you. And I think that what a gift that each time we come to John's gospel, we can receive that invitation afresh and we can share it with others and extend it with others. And the best response that we can get from somebody is for them to be honest. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of the Bible? Can anything good come from the church? Come and see. And know that if they come, it wasn't because you approached them and invited them. Jesus has already seen them. Jesus has already noticed them. He may be pleased to use you and me, but he is on the move. May we join him. And may we be a rung in Jacob's ladder. May it be true of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.